Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel according to Luke in the 24th chapter. It's on the afternoon of the resurrection and Jesus encounters some who don't recognize him. Listen now to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 24 verses 13 through 24 and 28 through 32. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead of them as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a story that I'd like to begin that goes like this. A man who took great pride in his lawn found himself with large and recurring crops of dandelions. And although he tried every method he knew to get rid of them, they continued to plague him. Finally, in desperation, he wrote the extension service of the agriculture department of the state university, enumerating all the things that he had tried and concluding with the question, what shall I do now? After a somewhat prolonged time, even for such a correspondence, the reply finally came. We suggest you learn to love them. <laughs> oh, if life were that easy. We're continuing our sermon series this morning on Gary Gunderson's book, Deeply Woven Roots, Improving the Quality of Life in Your Community. This week, we're delving into the topic of accompaniment. 
That's the idea of ministry with others as a side-by-side -side venture, not one person helping another from an attitude of inequality. Gunderson says this, for any one person, accompaniment means life itself in many dimensions, even amid frailty. It does not fix things, but it allows for continued connection, coherence, context in which meaning and value are still possible. Around this time last year, when I was still at Wilton Presbyterian Church in Wilton, Connecticut, I participated in a three-week training series, if you will, training course centered on this idea of accompaniment. And it was aptly called companionship training. The model of the ministry of companionship was developed by the mental health chaplaincy, which is now called Pathways to Promise to provide companioning and compassionate presence in the Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. They now reach a national audience through their online programs. But the Interfaith Cooperative blends its work with mental health groups serving people living in homelessness, in mental illness, addictions, trauma, and isolation. For nearly 30 years, they've had the special concern for the most isolated, vulnerable, and difficult to serve souls in their community. They teach what it means to minister alongside others from a peer-to-peer -peer vantage point. The idea is precisely what Gary Gunderson presents, and it's what Jesus taught that as people of faith, we are called to walk alongside other people who are suffering. And an important reality is that you can't really develop a trusting relationship until you see the other person as an equal. When I read through the gospel texts, Jesus really is the penultimate example of one who have practiced accompaniment ministry. Whether you read the story of the woman at the well who he treats as an equal, a foreign woman as an equal, or any of the healing stories, Jesus just listened and responded. The fact that he traveled with a motley crew of disciples and taught them while they were on their way is more of a way that he lived out his ministry. And the story this morning, the road to Emmaus, is another perfect example of accompaniment. Jesus didn't insert himself into the travelers' lives. He listened and affirmed, and as a result, the men were comforted. They invited him back to their home, because they rec not because they recognized who he was, but because they felt connected to this new friend. Something even stirred within them. Their hearts were burning. But that can be a bit of a challenge for us, right? Especially if we're engaging with someone who has a very different lifestyle than we do. So how do we bridge the gap if we dare? In his book, The Spirituality of Imperfection, Ernest Kurtz highlights the idea of shared weakness. The shared honesty of mutual vulnerability openly acknowledged 
That's where we connect. At the most fundamental level of our very humanness, it is our weakness that makes us alike. It is our strengths that make us different. That's profound to me. He says, acknowledging shared weakness thus creates rooted connectedness, a sense of common beginnings. We will grow in different directions with our different strengths, but our roots remain in the same soil as everyone else's, the very earthy humus of our imperfection. The idea of sharing and connecting, even talking about our common weakness, is scary for most of us, isn't it? For we worship in communities where we're known for our roles in the broader community, as professionals, as parents, as students, volunteers, and neighbors. We want to be seen as competent and strong, not weak or flawed. And in addition to that, our society is built on a sense of competitiveness. It's very human to lean on our successes to build our esteem when jockeying for position in society. When we're open with people about who we are, it gives them permission to do so with us. And that's when accompaniment or companioning ministry can take place. I've never seen this more fully displayed than in 12-step groups. Long ago, after eight years in Al-Anon, I finally walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous back in March of 1993. That's coming on almost 29 years ago. I hadn't had a drink for the previous 15 months, but I finally realized that I had an allergy to alcohol and that I couldn't drink like other people, and most importantly, that I needed help from God and from others, other people who, just like me, needed help. So I went to AA, and from that time on, I have always felt a sense of deep acceptance, non-judgmentalism, and the power of the ministry of accompaniment. From one person finding their way a day at a time to the next. I've witnessed a depth of compassion and connection unlike I've found anywhere else, even in the church. And that's because it's based on a profound sense of shared humanity and an admittance that all of us would not be here if it were not for the extravagant grace and gift of God higher power, or whatever people need to call the power greater than themselves. That sense of common humanity, that we're all in this together, with no one having it all together, combined with service to others, and a connection with and gratitude for God, are what's made it work since its founding in 1935 by Bill Wilson, a businessman in finance, and a medical doctor, Dr. Bob Smith, two men who had an allergy to alcohol as well, who joined together to stop drinking and to live a sober life emotionally, physically, and spiritually. 
There's a reason why millions of people across all socioeconomic lines, racial and religious and cultural lines, have continued to seek out those rooms and groups, often meeting in church basements with people who've never entered the sanctuaries just upstairs. Why is it so difficult sometimes for church people to connect at the deepest levels with others? And what is the role of the congregation in building communities in which it's safe to be fully human and therefore imperfect? What's our role in helping to create broader communities where accompaniment can take place on a broader scale? Our congregation has been part of the consortium of volunteers who are resettling Afghan evacuees arriving to Greenwich. Volunteers are taking on various tasks to ensure that the families are getting what they need as they make their new lives in our area. I've been so moved to witness some of the interactions of our members and other members from the Greenwich community at large as they've begun to develop relationships with our new neighbors. It's been accompaniment at its best. One of the tasks that I've been doing has been to, when I am able, to take some of the people over to medical appointments, driving them in my car. One night, or one, excuse me, one morning right after Christmas, there were three family members with me and two more in front of us, accompanied by another one of Round Hill's members, who were in line at the Express Medical Lab for blood work to be done. The technician, who was extremely capable and obviously used to his line going much faster than it was with us there, grew frustrated when my group arrived. And let me just say, there were soon another eight people from the Greenwich community who came in after us who were in line and had to wait a long time. I stood with the family in the room as an advocate and went over to the technician and gently put my hand on his shoulder. I listened to his complaints over the forms not having been filled out correctly, causing him more work. And then I complimented him and his assistant for their help. And I told him I was just a volunteer driver, just a local pastor, and that by doing his work, he was part of a huge human humanitarian effort to welcome new friends into our community. I felt him take a sigh and then kind of shift and refocus. That was an opportunity for me to walk alongside him at that moment of frustration without blaming him or judging him, but affirming his efforts. It wasn't really that difficult to do. Sometimes accompaniment calls for great sacrifice. This weekend, I officiated at a service online, a memorial service for my husband's colleague at the Counseling Center in Bronxville. Jane was an amazing clinician and died of a brain tumor after about a year and a half diagnosis. And about 
six months ago, she called me, and I didn't really know her that well, but she called me and asked me to preside at the service when it would finally be coming. And I asked her, I said, do you need me to come over and talk to you about some of the spiritual things that are coming up for you? And she told me that her best friend, Jill, who lived out in Oregon, was packing up her bags and coming to live with Jane for her last six months of life. And over that six month period, I did witness some of their interactions and talked to them on the phone. And that was accompaniment in an extraordinary way, where one friend and another friend walked with each other until the unfortunate death of one. That's love like no one can imagine. And many of you have probably been in a situation similarly with a family member or friend. It takes great courage and great strength to be able to do it. But that is accompaniment ministry. Each of us has opportunities each and every day to accompany others in small, like the, with the t medical technician ways, or in large ways, like Jill did with Jane, as we share our lives with them. Parents, spouses, teachers, congregants, co-workers, friends, all have the chance to do so and to be part of larger groups which create accompaniment with those who are suffering. And aren't we all suffering in some way? So the question I leave with, who will you accompany today? And how will you share your life, your struggles and weaknesses with them in big and small ways, connecting with them? The Spirit of God walks with you and me like Jesus did with the, those two on the road to Emmaus and will stir your heart as well. Amen.